Hello, God's frozen chosen up here in the northern tundra. Yeah, you know, as I was walking here, uh, I thought about, uh, in the King James Version, it, spoke, it speaks about the disciples. They were rowing their boat on the lake against contrary winds, is what it says. And, and the winds are kind of contrary right now. Did you notice that? Did you, did you face contrary winds coming into chapel today? Well, you know what? God has something special, you know, because the wind, the wind is what is required for the kite to fly high. Isn't that right? No wind, no kite fly. And, and we're going to soar. We're going to really let her fly. And something good's going to happen today. I have never preached an evening service in the afternoon before. This is the first time. So brand new territory for me. Um, we're going to go back to First Chronicles chapter 16. Remember what I said this morning? was this was the song that David sang as he brought the Ark of the Covenant back home where it was supposed to be and to put worship into the rightful place. And worship should always lead to holiness. If it doesn't, it's not really worship. See, sometimes people, they love worship and they go to church and do this, but then it doesn't really translate into their lives in, in holiness. So they haven't really worshipped. They just had a music moment. There's a big difference between worship and music moments. Inspiration is not holiness and it's not worship. Inspiration is beautiful, but it's got to lead to a holy life. Worship and holiness, they go hand to hand. They're Siamese twins. They, you can't have one without the other. And so there are just a couple of verses I'm going to draw out from 1 Chronicles chapter 16, once again, uh, that, that will make the point, all right? So here we go. Yeah. Verse 10, all right? It goes, glory in his holy name, and let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord and his strength, and seek his face always. To seek the face of God. What, what is that? What does it mean to seek the face? You know, your face is a very intimate part of who you are. The face is how you are, are known. Like my driver's license, it doesn't have a picture over the back of my head. It has a picture of my face. And it's very, very um, intimate. Like you don't just let anybody touch your face. You know, just as I was saying goodbye to Kathy, I, I gave her a kiss goodbye and I held her face but like my ushers at church, they don't like when they say, oh, welcome to church today. And they say, reach out and pat, touch the face. You know, that would just be creepy if they did that. So, so there's a real closeness and intimacy that comes when you seek a face. And it says, look to the Lord in his strength and seek his face always. Verse 27, Splendor and majesty are before him, strength and joy in his dwelling place, like where he dwells, where he lives. And then in verse 29, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name, bring an offering and come before him, worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Or the beauty. Some versions say the beauty. Anybody have a version of the Bible that says the beauty of holiness? Either way, it goes that way. The splendor or the beauty of holiness. That's how we worship the Lord. So, 
let's just take a look at that. If we're gonna treasure the treasure, we treasure Jesus through worship, through holiness, and through, through mission. So let's take a look at, at holiness, what that is. Well, first of all, let me tell you what it isn't, okay? Um, and, and before I go there, I'm gonna go to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. It says, um, as he who called you was holy, be holy in all you do. Wow, contrary wind, look at that. Holy cow. Squirrel, squirrel, squirrel. Okay. <laughs> Just as he who called you is holy, be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. All right. You know, this college is from the Wesleyan Church, which is a holiness church. It was birthed in the holiness movement. And, and in this region, the churches that made this university happen, uh, they were holiness people. They were Baptists, but they, they, they really had this deep down uh, heart for holiness, all out, 100%, complete surrender for God. That was the reason why they existed, right? They were holiness people. But sometimes holiness people have taken the image of holiness or the idea of holiness and they took it and they made it into something a little bit different than what was originally intended. So like for instance, holiness is not legalism, all right? It's not legalism. You know, legalism is like if you, if you are a holy person, then that means you have to look a certain kind of way. Now I was raised in the conservative holiness movement and there was a lot of legalism that went with that. Like for instance, uh, if you are a holy person, then you, you have to dress a certain way. Like the women were not allowed to wear, you know, pants or anything like that. They wear you know, dresses. Sleeves had to always be down to here. They, they were very strict in the dress. Uh, my, my daddy, he, he uh, preached against dancing, of course, you know, and, and, but, it, but roller skating too because that was dancing on wheels. And that was a big problem for me because when I went off to Indiana Wesleyan University when I went to school, they actually had a skating party. And I just thought, oh, that's just terrible. You know, it's just terrible. There's a skating party, dancing on wheels party. And I opposed any sin that was going to make me look stupid, you know. I mean, some, some sins, you know, I'd be okay with, but, but ones that would make me look dumb. So I didn't really want to do the skating party. But my first date with Kathy ended up at the skating party. And it was just silly that, that uh, anybody would even think that that was a, you know, bad thing really but but it was just the way that it was I mean it was just the idea it was like holiness and legalism this big list of rules and if you obeyed all these rules then you're a holy person and if you didn't quite match up to the rules then you weren't a holy person and there are entire um, you know denominations and stuff that identify holiness as legalism just the rules it's not fanaticism either and fanaticism is just going nuts and crazy, you know, and there are some loopy people out there that think they're very holy, but they're not just holy, they're just weird. And sometimes, uh, you know, when a person is persecuted for being weird, they say, well, I'm being persecuted for righteousness sake. No, you're not. You're just being persecuted because you're being obnoxious. And there's a, there's a difference between the two. So it's not legalism, and it's not fanaticism, and, and it's not emotionalism. Even though Holiness connects to our emotions in a deep way, and we are emotional beings. Holiness is not emotionalism. It isn't just like moments with goosebumps, and that's holiness. And it's not just theory. It's not theoretical. So like it's an idea out there, and you can debate it and talk about it and all that kind of stuff. In fact, there's a class, you know, that we do, and I teach it sometimes, the doctrine of holiness. 
But I think, well, it's not a way of making it a doctrine. You know what we do with that, by the doctrine of holiness? What we do is we, we microscoped it. And like, there are two ways to study frogs. One way to study a frog is to take a dead frog and buy it from some biology lab and you cut it open, you dissect the frog and you look at it and you pull out its veins and stuff like that. Well, that's one way to study a frog. The other way to study a frog is to get your binoculars and your chest waders and go into a swamp and you immerse yourself in it and you look at the frog and you experience life with the frog. And I would suggest that the Holy Spirit, when you'd like to experience life, don't dissect the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's good to understand it, but if you think of it as you from on the outside looking in, you're missing the whole point. Pneumatology, which is the study of the Holy Spirit, pneumatology is like pneumonia. You know, it's the same word comes from. I mean, it's an experience. It's an experience. Not just something that you think about and study. So, holiness is real, very real, and it's practical. It isn't something for somebody else, it, it's for you. So, what is it? Now, there are lots of definitions. I'll give you mine. I'll just give you a few thoughts on it. Like, it, it's where God's love rules. It, it's living in the overflow of holy love. And if there is no love, there is no holiness. See, if you say that you're a holy person, but you really don't love, if your life is not centered in love, you're not holy, you're self-righteous. There's a big difference between holiness and self-righteousness. Holiness is not the way to Christ. Christ is the way to holiness. And when we have all of Christ, that's when we receive the holiness, his holy love that comes into our life and permeates us and then overflows out to other people. That's what I'm talking about. Now, every belief system, every church, all of them that have hold the Bible and think the Bible's true, every single one of them, and even, even some that we would majorly disagree with, they all believe in sanctification. Every single one believes that sanctification should happen in the life of every believer. The question is, when's it gonna happen, right? Because some would say, it's gonna happen, but it's gonna happen after I die. So the Catholics, for instance, they talk about, there are a few people that make it to sainthood within life and they're sanctified in life, but pretty much what happens is you have to die and then you go to purgatory, right? And then you get it purged out of you, all the unholiness, and then you're sanctified in purgatory, then you get to go on to heaven because you're a holy person then. So, so your sanctification happens in purgatory. I've had a few people say to me, hell is here on this earth. I say, no, it's not. Hell's not on this earth. I mean, you might think that you're going through hell, but you're not because this isn't hell. There's a real hell and it's not on this earth. Purgatory is here on this earth. <laughs> That's what it is right here is the purgatory where, where you're being refined and tested and purged of all that stuff so that you can be ready to, to be there on the other side. But there are, there are some that would believe that purgatory on the other side. It's after you die and it happens. The Lutherans kind of talk about that too. Martin Luther said, I'm always a saint and a sinner always repenting, just constantly repenting over and over and over and over again, kind of like a little circle going around and around. And I have some good Lutheran buddies and, and, and some of them really get the concept of, of righteousness and following in with Christ. And, and there are others that think that, that there's no hope for that, that we just have to cut ourselves some slack and some grace and I'm not gonna grow forward with anything. I'm just gonna stay right here and just thank God for his grace. 
And that's kind of a crummy way to live, I think. Now, there are some that would say it's right here in this life. And, and a lot of Christians would say it's in this life, but the question is, how does it happen in this life, right? Like, there was a guy who spoke at a Wesleyan Youth Convention one time. He wasn't from our tribe, but he said something, and it just really irked me when he said it. Uh, he, he got in front of all these kids. He said, I want you to repeat after me. He said, I'm as righteous as I'm ever going to be. And so all the thousands of kids said, I'm as righteous as I'm ever going to be. I thought, oh, no, I hope that my young people in my youth group are... are, are I hope that this isn't it for them. I hope that they have more to go. I mean, I really hope that they can be more and more filled with the righteousness of Christ. Oh, please, please don't do that. But here's the reason why. Now, if the guy's saying that there's no human effort that we can do that make that makes us righteous. I, I get that. Christ is the one that makes us righteous. It isn't us. It isn't our self-effort. It's our self-surrender, right? But here's the deal. If we end up thinking of ourselves as like, uh, you know, I'm as righteous as I'm ever going to be, then what, 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 what he was saying is this, that there's an imputation of righteousness, that Jesus looks at me as righteous even though I'm not. That he perceives it that way. He kind of looks at me through his righteous grid. And even though I'm just living a simple, crummy kind of life, and I'm just, you know, on the bottom... Um, that Jesus looks at me and he smiles because he loves me. And that's a very common perspective out there. I mean, a lot of people, you know, I'm saved by grace, thank God, because I'm sinning all the time. There's another way. There's, there's another way, a much better way. You don't have to do that. See, it's not just imputed. It's not just spoken and then make believes that, that you're righteous. I mean, it, he can really make you a righteous person. He can make you a holy person, filled and overflowing with holy love. It really can happen. It's real. It's real. Now, sometimes people say, well, if it's in this life, then uh, there are moments of it, just little tiny moments of it. I have a glimpse of holiness, and then I go back into the real. And then maybe I come to Chapel of Kingswood, and woo, and I'm back down here again. And, and you just kind of live with these little glimpses of it. But wouldn't it be possible if you've had a glimpse of it that you could live in that all the time? It doesn't have to be just like the last night of youth camp. I mean, it can be like your real life all the time that you live in the love of Jesus every day. And there are some say, that say it'll happen, but it's gonna happen when you're really old. Like when you're young, you can't be holy got to wait till you're a you know, silver-haired grandma or something and like right before you die you're, like, you're right there you know like all along struggling and striving for holiness oh I can hardly wait to be holy someday and finally on the deathbed <gasps> I think I got it <gasps> well hey you don't have to wait till you're about dead I mean, why not now? Why not now? Now, here's the deal, though. See, holiness has to do with, with sin. That's, that's the problem. I mean, if it wasn't for sin, we'd all be holy. <laughs> we'd have that one nailed. But we all deal with this thing. And I have a few buddies of mine, you know, my, my Baptist buddies, and they're dear friends, and, and they say this. Uh, 
you know, we all sin in thought, word, and deed every day. So that's what it is. Just sinning in thought, word, and deed every day. Now, is that true? Well, I guess it depends on what you mean by sin. Like in the book of Romans, it says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I suppose if you use that definition of sin, falling short of the glory of God, then I would admit to that, I've fallen short of God's glory and thought, word, and deed every day. In fact, there is not one thought, one word, or one deed I've ever had that comes up all the way to the full glory of God. Every single thought, even the most lofty, holy, grandest thought I've had in my whole life, falls short of his full glory. So if you think of it like that, I guess, then every person falls short of God's glory and thought, word, and deed every day. But that's not what my friends mean when they say that. You know what they're doing? They're making excuses. That's what they're doing. Well, of course I'm going to sin. Of course I'm going to lie. Of course I'm going to cheat. Of course I'm going to have impure thoughts and, and say bad words and stuff like that. I'm going to do that because we all sin and thought, word, and deed every day. Well... What if you define sin as a willful transgression against God? That you know what the right thing is to do and you decide you're not going to do that. What if you thought of it like that? Would, would it be possible then to go more than a day? Well, could you go five minutes? Could you go five minutes without having a sinful thought, saying a sinful word or doing a sinful deed? Could you try? Maybe even in, in chapel or something, you know? Four minutes? And, and if you could go four or five minutes without, say, couldn't you go an hour? You know, here's the problem with just thinking of it like that. It's kind of like the same guy that, uh, like the guy that was trying to get a job as a chauffeur. And there's a lineup of people. They all wanted this job. They were interviewing this rich lady. She had her, you know, limo and she needed a chauffeur. So she says, I want to know how close to the cliff you can, you can get without going off the cliff. And one guy says, well, I think I could go about a foot close to the cliff. And second guy says, well, I think I'd go six inches. And the third guy says, I'd stay as far away from the cliff as I possibly could. And he got the job. And so when we're thinking about sin like this, well, should I sin? Should I sin? What we're doing is we're living close to the cliff. And what we want to do is get all the way to the center, way over here, stay as far away from the cliff as we possibly can. So, okay, well, here's a question then. Where does it come in? Where does sin come in for us? Is it in the desire? Or is it in the decision? Or is it in the deed? Right? Like, is it, you know, Adam and Eve, they saw the fruit and they desired it? Was it their decision to take it that they, when they decided to do it? Or was it when they actually ate of the fruit? And I don't know the answer to all that. Of course, temptation isn't sin. It's not. Because Jesus himself was tempted and he was free from sin. We're all tempted. So somehow in the desire part, you know, there is, there is a battle we all have to face. But there's a point where the desire becomes greater than our desire to please Christ. The desire of the temptation 
becomes greater than our desire to please Christ. And mark this down. If you're taking notes, write this down. What I love most wins every time. What I love most wins. It's really true. What you love the very most, that's going to eventually win. So if, if there's a guy who's struggling with drinking and he loves his wife and his wife doesn't want him to drink and he's trying and hard, but if he loves his drinking more than he loves his wife, the drinking's going to win. And even if you battle against it, it still will win because deep down you love it most. I saw this with my buddy Cody. Cody had been smoking like crazy. I mean, he just smoked and smoked. I said, Cody, you know what? You should just like save the money. Don't quit smoking and save the money that you spend on cigarettes. Put it in a fund and you'll go to Hawaii in about five years, you know? Why don't you do that? And he said, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't quit. I tried, I tried to quit. Guess what happened? He and his wife had a little baby. Her name's Chloe. She's just really precious. The moment Chloe was born, Cody quit smoking. Well, why did he quit smoking? Because he loved Chloe this precious little baby, more than his desire to smoke. And even though there was a battle and a struggle for him to quit smoking, his love for Chloe gave him the courage and the strength to overcome that. And see, that's the way it works with our habits and our patterns in our lives. If, 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 if you're failing and struggling, then there's a deeper love issue going on. It really is. So is it at the desire or is it at the decision or is it the deed? The solution for that is at the deepest part. What do I love most? That's the question. And that's another definition of holiness, by the way. It's what Jesus said, the great commandment. What was it? Uh, love God with all what? Remember? Your heart, your soul, what else? Your mind, and what else? Your strength, yeah. Love the Lord with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. That's the greatest commandment. That's like the most important thing, he said. Now, doesn't that strike you as odd that he'd say that? Because how could love be commanded? How can you command love? You have to love me. How would you command that? You don't command love. I mean, the only people that try to command love are people like, you know, like insecure boyfriends or... Or, or, or a boss that's just really weird or something. And, and you have to love me or else. There's only one way that definition makes sense. I mean, the, that commandment makes sense. That, that you, you must love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. There's only one way that makes sense. You know what it is? It's that he loved us that way first. He loved us that way first. His love for us commands us to love him back. I mean, he loves us with all his heart. I mean, and there's no heart greater than that. I mean, God so loved the whole world. It's the deepest, richest love ever. And he loves us with all of his soul. It is so profound with the deepest depths of anything. And there it is. And with that great soul, he loves us. And with all of his mind, it's the greatest mind. And he created the universe. He created all the minds better than a billion hours 
Albert Einstein's all put together, and yet he, that would just be a thimble compared to the ocean of his vast knowledge and wisdom and understanding. And with that great mind, he loves you with that mind and with his strength. What kind of power and strength does he have? I mean, he can make a whirlwind outside. He can smash things and dash them and create universes. He can do all of that. And with that power, that strength, he loves you. So of course I'm going to love him back. There's no other option for me. When I have that overwhelming love just flowing out towards me like an ocean of love, I just, I have no other choice but to love him back. And that's the only reason. It's because he loved us that way first. And that's what holiness is. It's just loving him back. It's loving him back and loving him more, loving him more than our sin, loving him more than whatever holds us back. And so in, in this course of holiness, there are like two skis, I guess, if you will, two aspects to it. And I've read lots of books on holiness and, and mostly they focus on one or the other. And it's both. And the two skis are purity and maturity. The way I call that is a fully devoted and fully developing. Fully developing. Full devotion happens in a moment. And being fully developed, I mean, that happens your whole life. In fact, nobody here is fully developed. In fact, all the way up till we die, and John Wesley had made a point of maybe we'll grow even after that. When we're in heaven, we'll just keep on growing closer and closer to Jesus. That, so, but, but full devotion is an instantaneous kind of thing, and full development is something that happens along the journey of life. So through maturity, through the fully developing side of it, that's a growth process. And that's why we do the spiritual disciplines and we read the Bible and we learn and we discern and we go back over our memories and we understand things better so we can go forward in, in Jesus. By the way, this is a great exercise. Let me give it to you. Just, just recently I did this. I went on a retreat to a monastery and I did memory mapping. And what I do is I prayed a prayer. I said, Lord, would you go with me back into my memories and open up any doors that you want me to? I'm going to map it out. I'm going to draw it on a big piece of paper with colored markers and stuff like that. Like the, the experiences that I've had and what you would like to teach me about myself and about you from those experiences. And I, I had some huge eye-opening things as I just went back. But that's a, that's a maturing thing. It was a growing thing. It, 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 it's going to keep on going, and I'm still learning. I'm still growing. Nobody has arrived. Nobody has on that side of it. But here's, here's the deal. There are a lot of people that think that they're going to grow their way into purity to being fully devoted. I, well, eventually, if I just keep on working on my stuff, eventually I'll get fully devoted. That's not going to happen. If you think you're eventually going to grow into full devotion to Jesus, you're not. You're not. You're just going to stay at the same level and, and you'll, you'll be immature spiritually because you really haven't given it all to Jesus. You see, purity and full devotion, that only happens through surrender. 
You don't grow your way into it. You surrender your way into it. You lay it all out and say, okay, God, I'm all yours. Instead of me writing the check and ask God to sign it, I sign the check and ask God to write it. That's what I'm talking about. Instead of making Jesus the resident of my life, I put a P in front of that and he's the president of my life and he's in charge of the whole deal. And that happens with an act of the will where I say, okay, Lord, I'm sold out and I'm all yours no matter what. And so a person can be 21 years old and be fully devoted to Jesus. You can be as fully devoted as a 21-year-old can be all in for Jesus. Are you fully um, developed yet? No, no, you have ways to go and, and God's gonna teach you some stuff along the way, but you're all in. And a person can be 12 years old and be fully devoted. Or a person can be 52 years old and be fully devoted. Do you see what I'm saying? It doesn't matter how old you are. What matters is your heart of surrender to God, that you give it all to him. My question is, is Jesus enough for you? Have, have you given it all to him? Have you surrendered it all to him completely? Or are you holding some back? Now, here's the way it works. Like, when we're born, we, we are, are, are so full of, Love. I mean, like every little baby, I know they're selfish and I know they can talk, where I was born in sin, my mother conceived me and all that kind of stuff. But here's one thing I found, that when babies come into my congregation, everybody in the church smiles. Like when they see a little baby, they're like, oh, you know, I'm like, even the grumpiest, crotchety kind of, they just grin, they smile, they pinch, oh, boo, 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 boo. You know, they, they, they just love little baby. Because babies are precious. And like little tykes, you know, they're just, they just trust. They have such a joy. Jesus said we ought to be like little children. Little kids are like a yes, a yes to God. Little kids that go to Sunday school, they all love Jesus. They do. I love Jesus. They do. But then when they get a little bit older, something happens. All of us have sinned, fallen short of God's glory. Every single human being, that yes, somehow, someway turns into a no. And you've all been there, haven't you? Where you said no to God instead of yes to him. And so instead of walking in the yes, we walk in the no. No, no, I'm gonna do that. That's not for me. I don't think so. No, 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 no. And then what happens as the Holy Spirit comes after us, the hound of heaven, he just keeps seeking us out and he finds us. And here's what happens. He whispers. You can't run away far from God. There's not one person far from God. You know why? Because even if they run 100 million miles away from God, God is right behind them. And all they have to do is turn around, he's right there. I mean, that's the way it works. You're never far from God. And conviction comes upon us. And so what happens is we have yes, but then there's a no in there. Like, like what, I'm, they're, they're, I'm sorry, we're living in the no. And then there's this little yet, yes. Could it possibly be? No, 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 that can't be. But could it be? Do you think maybe if I really surrender to God? No, I'm not gonna do that. So we're kind of living in the no, but yet there's this yes that sort of pulls us back to what we're supposed to be. I've seen this happen with a lot of people. In fact, there's a buddy of mine. He's just so ripe. He, right now, he's in the know, but that yes is growing inside of him, and he's going to turn his life to Jesus really soon. I know that he is. And then what happens is this. You finally surrender, and you give it all to Jesus, and you say, okay, I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. I'm, I'm 
tired of running away from the Lord. Lord, I'm coming home. And we come home and we give our heart to Jesus and he fills us up with joy and it's just beautiful, beautiful. And there's nothing more wonderful than a baby Christian. Like in our church, I just love baby Christians. I mean, they make messes. Yeah, you know, they do. Uh, and and like, like, you know, sometimes, like there was one guy who, uh, he just gave his heart to the Lord not too long ago and he shook my hand. He says, that was one blankety blank of a sermon, preacher. <laughs> I said, well, the Lord hadn't cleaned him language up yet, but he's cleaned up his heart. I mean, he's on the way. And so he's, yes, yes, I want to give my life to Jesus. Yes, I'm all his. I hope everybody here is a Bible college. I hope you've all said yes to the Lord. I'm making the assumption that pretty much all of you have done that. Now, when that happens, these baby Christians, they are the happiest people in, in the world. They, they think that like life is just fabulous, wonderful, and they're just so excited. And they come, you know, they're just so pumped up for Jesus. I, I love Jesus. Yes, I do. I love Jesus. How about you? And, and then the old timers of our church, they go, well, just wait. You'll be like us someday. I say, no, no, please. And sure enough, that's what happens. And I don't know why it happened. I haven't figured that out quite yet. Maybe it's the concerns of life. Or maybe you're hurt by somebody, by what somebody said or did. Maybe you prayed and you thought it was going to work out this way and it came out this way instead and you got disappointed. But for whatever reason, we slide back into a yes with, with, with a little bit of a no that, that comes along behind. And with that no behind, it isn't that you're not a Christian. Oh yeah, you go to church, you do the stuff you're supposed to do, but there's this little bit of a reservation because things didn't happen the way you thought they were supposed to. Or maybe you're just afraid you're afraid that God will call you to do something you'd rather not do, and so you hold back. And that's where about 90% of Christian people live, is in that realm of yes and no. I was an ordained pastor living in yes and no. I was a youth pastor. And I told my young people, you guys need to get your heart right with God and you need to believe and you need to repent. You're naughty and you ought to shape up. But all along inside my heart, I was a yes. And part of me was saying no. And there was a day in my life, December 6, 1990, I'll never forget it, in an empty church sanctuary where after a long process, I, I began to realize that my righteousness was self-righteousness and, and that my love for Christ was really just out of obligation and duty. It wasn't out of delight. That Jesus was a part of my life and I worked for him. I'm, shoot, he was my boss. But I didn't love him with all my heart, not with everything. And I realized there was a lot of stuff that I'd been holding back and people that I had resentment against and I just needed to let that go. And so early in the morning, while it was still dark, I came into our church and I knelt down at the altar and I prayed and I said, God, 
I don't have much to give you, but here it is. You, got, you can have it all. 100% of me. I'm tired of this double, you know, yes and no stuff. I, I want to be all in for you. Make me as holy as a saved sinner can be. And fill me up with your spirit and with your power because I need you. I can't keep doing this. I can't do your work without your help. And I need you to do it. Please, please help me. And he filled my heart that day. Changed my life forever. It changed my life. Before that day, I had never led a person to Christ personally. I mean, I was a youth pastor, so I took them to youth conventions, youth camps, so my kids would give their heart to God. But I didn't know how to do it. That very day, I led somebody to Jesus. And I'll tell you more maybe about that later. But the, the point, what I'm trying to say is that the power is in the surrender. It, it's when you give up that you go up. And when you yield and you open it all and say, Lord, I'm all yours, I'm all in. When you give it all to him, that's when he comes in his fullness. Just recently, we were talking about worship at our church and excellence and leadership and stuff. I'm on a new initiative just lately, but you know, I kind of overcorrected and, I, and I, I realized this is so important that when I give my all and when I give my best, that, that counts as one. And then the anointing and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, that counts as a thousand. But the anointing and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit only comes when I give my all and my best. So you can give your all and your best and you do it with your own motive and trying to make yourself look good and work really hard at it and stuff like that. You can do that and, and work really hard and do a, little, a good job, get a straight A on the paper or whatever, and you're doing that out of the flesh and that's still only one. But when you give it and then you give it away. You give your best and you give your best all the way, all out for Jesus. He'll just pour out an amazing, abundant supply of his presence and his power. And it's the most beautiful, wonderful thing. The hardest job in all the world is being a pastor without the anointing. And the greatest delight in the world is to be a pastor in the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So that's my question. Where are you? Where are you with that? I mean, are you, are you all in? Are you all in all the way? Or, or do, you need, do you need to fill up the heart? And what I found is over the years, sometimes it leaks out and it just leaks. I, 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 I leak it and, and then I have to refill up again. But you know what? God gives free refills. He gives free refills and it's good. And there might be somebody here, you need a refill. You just need to get it right. And, and maybe there's a reason why we're having a snowstorm and we're doing it here in the afternoon. I mean, there's a different time and God wants to do something special. So I'm going to ask the worship team, you guys come up. And we're going to, we're going to just open up the altar. You, you will seek him and, and you'll find him when you seek him with all your heart. When you seek him with half your heart, you won't find him because, you know, it's not there. Half-hearted commitment will not receive any anointing. It's got to be everything. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to do whatever it takes? I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to say a prayer. And then we're going to open it up. And if you want to do business with God, just come. Just come and, and open up yourself to him. Lord, we need you. 
we need you. With, without you, we can't do anything. But through you and with you, we can do everything. Lord, forgive us for the way that we make things and stuff that we shouldn't and, and how we get caught up with the little details of things that don't really matter. And Lord, there's a reason why our classes were, were canceled today. Because you have a different plan for us. You have a test for us today. Help us to pass the test. Father, our response is yes to you. Bring to our hearts and our minds the areas that we need to let go of and surrender to you and then give us the courage to do it. And Lord, we're going to give you all the glory. We worship you with all of our hearts. We surrender ourselves to you. And we thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do on this day, this day, that will make a difference forever. In Jesus' name, amen. As we sing, I just invite you to come.